All right, so let's pray first, and then we'll read verses 89 through 96 of Psalm 119. Okay, let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, thank you for this day that you've made. Thank you, Lord, for being our creator. Lord, there are so many good things about you that we can see from your uh, goodness manifested uh, in your creative acts and how that you made us individually, as we've seen before in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, but also how that you have uh, all the things you put around us for no other purpose but for our uh, but for our pleasure, all the beauty, and uh, but Lord, even more than even more than all that is the knowledge of uh, your compassion toward us, and uh, in providing a savior for us. So, Lord, as we look in your Word, I pray that your Word would be a great benefit to us. I pray that you'd give me wisdom uh, and and grace and help to be able to help and encourage your people. I pray that you would help your people as they listen to the Word, as they ponder on it and meditate upon it, that it would be profitable to them and help them to grow, and they would be able to rightly use the Word of God in their, uh, in their daily lives. Lord, I pray you bless today and everything that's done, uh, and I pray as we especially think of uh, motherhood and how important uh, it is that uh, we highly value uh, motherhood. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to also honor you and uh, do your will as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 119, verse number 89. says this, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances. For all are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should, I should then have perished in mine affliction. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked, wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Now, last week, we spent a little bit of time talking. Uh, we finished in verse number 91, but I want to just kind of go back and review and maybe look at a few more verses because I think this is an important, an important question. Um, oftentimes, when, when I'm thinking about what I want to say and, and trying to prepare a lesson or even prepare a message, I, I, I think about... I think about that so many things in the scripture that we read are directly contradicted by the philosophy of the world, which is a philosophy of Satan, who is the God of this world. And just as God, the God of the Bible, has a set of doctrines and truths that are true and right and real and, and righteous, so the devil has a counterfeit set that he uses to convince people of a whole different set of, uh, of values and that leads to a, a completely different set of actions, which puts us where we are today. In other words, under what is under, underneath the wicked activities that we see around us in this world that are increasing, under that is a whole structure, a philosophical, religious faith system that is underpinning and is informing what they do. And... 
that's the part where that's the thing that I, that I see in the Scriptures as I, as I uh, look at what these things say. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this point uh, further. We finish with cha- uh, chapter 119, verse number 91. It says, For all are thy servants. And in the context, the all are thy servants is a reference to the, the material things that God has created. In other words, all the things that God created, He created to serve Him. He created to serve Him. Now, we know that the created world, all the things that God, God made, are not as they are, or are not now, as they were when God created them. They are fallen. That's why in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that the creature was subject, made subject to vanity. The creature was made subject to vanity. What is that talking about? The creature is talking about the material creation. What all the things that God created in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all of chapter 1, chapter 2, all the things that God created, He created them originally very good, just like the Genesis says. But now, as a result of the fall of man, God subjected those things to vanity. In other words, those things are also fallen and corrupted, and we see that all around us. That's not a... God did not... And this is... Listen... I, I, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too philosophical, not that I could, but I don't want to get too philosophical. But these are things that you have to understand that this is these are the worldly philosophies that are being that are being promoted and taught in schools, at people's jobs. This is when you talk to somebody who is not a believer, who came up in a public school setting, like I did, and they they are you're you're interacting with them on, on matters moral, matters religious, matters spiritual which is obviously what we're trying to do, right? They have a completely different set of values. They have a completely different set of values. And, when, uh, and, and so we have, to, we have to understand kind of where they're coming from and what's informing their belief system. And we see here that it says, for all are thy servants. Uh, what I, I slipped my mind, what I was going to say in Romans chapter 8, it says that the creature was subject to vanity that everything we see here, one of the points that often those people come up, th- those people throw in Christians' faces are, well, if God created the world, then why is it so bad? Then why is there so much disease and you, you know, mosquito-borne viruses and mold and, and, uh, and bacteria that are so harmful and so much death and destruction? And that's true. But there's an easy answer to that. And that's why it's always, again, I just, I've just circled the wagons here. That's why it's so important that we be Bible Christians. And by that I mean we, we don't take what we believe from what Christianity says, right, or church is, but what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that what we see around us in God's creation is not as God created it. It has fallen. And that's why there's death. So when someone throws, they have a false premise because they're saying, look at all this evil that's around us in this world. And you say, God created it. So God created all these evil things. No, 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 no. God created it good. It has changed from when it, was, from when it fell. And so that, what that does is in it, it opens a door for you to, bring, to bring you back full circle to the question of sin. Why did it fall? Because man fell. I'm fallen. You're fallen. See, that's... But see, that's the, the, the ideas that are passed around. And, um, and it, it's also, just as a, as a side note, that's also one of the reasons why evolution 
and creation are incompatible. Here's why. Because if a creationist, if a person who wants to merge the two, there's a very glaring, ugly question that must be answered is, where did death come from? If God created the world, evolution's premise requires death, natural selection. It requires death of those that are unfit. That is the whole doctrine. It's a doctrine. It's a religious doctrine. It deals with the origin of man, the origin of everything. That's a, that is a doctrine that is contrary to the biblical doctrine. All right, so the question must be asked then, if, if God created the world and just kind of set it spinning and it just kind of evolved into what it is now, well, then everything we read about the origin of sin and death is, is void because the Bible says God created man without sin, the world without sin, right? And, and sin entered into the world with Adam and Eve and death with that sin. You see, so th- that's why I say those things are incompatible, incompatible. Okay, so in verse number 90, let's read 90 and 91 again. It says, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances. We talked about the ordinances. This is not talking about the written word of God, although the word ordinances sometimes does refer to that. This is speaking of the natural laws that God has created. And the point we made last week was God not only created the things in the world, but He created the laws that govern those things. So here's the thing. You can take, we talked about our microscopes, remember? All the scopes, you know? You can take your microscope and zoom down as far down, all the way down to the to the atomic level if you want. And you know what you'll find? You'll find things that God created, but you will still not have an explanation for why those laws exist. The laws of nature. The laws of nature require a God of wisdom and intelligence to set them in motion, to to establish them. Laws are given by a lawgiver. That's what this verse is saying. You see, there there was a time... In, uh, especially in the day in the 1800s in, in, in England, when rationalism started to come into religious circles. And, and people started to think, well, the more scientific knowledge we have, then we kind of grow out of the need of believing in God because we can explain so many things. You know, people used to... Did I hear something? I thought, I thought somebody had a comment. People used to, uh, you know, have bloodletting. You know, when they were sick, they let blood, right? They, they bled people thinking that the sickness was in the blood, which is half true. But the, the, and then people learned, well, the blood is actually a, a liquid that is, and cells are suspended in the blood. And so now we can explain it. And so we, got, we can get rid of all those, those crazy religious ideas that, just, that we don't need that anymore. We don't, I mean, we know the sun is actually uh, you know, a flaming ball of nuclear fusion. You know. We don't really need... But listen, the more that we zoom in on what God has created the more questions we have than we started with. That's the reality. That's the reality of it. That's what I want us to see, is scientific knowledge is not bad. It's the scientific knowledge that is built upon assumptions that are purposefully exclusive of God. That's bad. Because that blinds the mind to the wonder that God wants to show us from His creation. Now, let's look at a few other verses to show you this. 
Creation is one of the greatest testimonies of God's existence and of his nature. Now, hear me on that. This is something that you and I would have to meditate on to, to really fully understand and appreciate. Creation is one of the greatest testimonies of God's existence and his nature. God's existence is self-evident in the Bible. It is assumed. There's no explanation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It is assumed that God is already there. And the, re the reason is, is because he was already there. Before there was time, before there was matter, before there was space, all these things that, that all the scientists and all the wisdom of this world, they just, they, they all start, well, wh where, did all, where did all this come from? Well, there was a, all the matter in the universe was compressed down into one point in space and then, whoa, 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 whoa. But stop there. See, you can't have God's matter and God's space and God's time. You can't start with that. See what I'm saying? Make your own matter and your own time and your own space and then start talking, right? But see, this is, the Bible is not an ignorant book. As the scriptures, and see, that's what people, how they caricature the Bible. Is this just a bunch of fairy tales and, and uh, whimsical you know, myths about this and that and the other. But when you actually read the text, right, what you find is God is very detailed about how things are done, the laws that govern it. The more we know about the natural world, the clearer, the clearer God, the creator, becomes. All right, look at Romans chapter 1, if you would. Actually, before you do that, look at... Um, Actually, yeah, go ahead and go Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. This is a classic passage and, and a very important passage. Listen, if you talk to anybody, if you're around people, especially that are atheistic, I know many of you have jobs and things, and you're primarily around people who are who are religious-minded people. They're, you know, they're, they believe in God and that kind of thing. But if you're not, or if you have any, maybe you have a family member or a coworker, something like that, that is, that is an evolutionist or who mocks the Scripture, this is where you need to take them. All right, you need to show them what this says. It says, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Notice, they already have the truth. Now, if you say that to someone who is, does not believe in God, oftentimes they'll say, ah, I've never believed in God. Yes, they have. You, we have to understand what God says is true. And if God says they already have the truth, that means they already have the truth you realize you're dealing with fallen sinners. They don't always acknowledge the truth. So just because someone says, I've always been an evolutionist, doesn't mean that they've always been an evolutionist. Just like a person says, well, I was born gay. I mean, I, th there's someone that, that my wife and I, well, primarily my wife knows who's now gay. And my wife has known that person since they were young. And now, as an adult, they said, I was born gay. But my wife has known that they were not born gay. They were not gay, and then they became gay, and then they retroactively said that they were... You see how that, that doesn't work. So my point is that sinners sometimes will deny the truth because of the implications of it, all right? So Romans chapter 1, verse 18, they have the truth, 
Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. In this verse, in black and white, God says, I have manifest myself to mankind. Now, whether they've seen it, understood it, received it, it's a different question. But God tells us He has shown Himself, manifested Himself, certain things about Himself to mankind. That is undeniable. So when you talk to someone, and when I talk to someone, we start there, even if they deny it, because it's true. Now, they will deny it until they're blue in the face, but that doesn't change it. And what you'll find is most people who are atheists or say they're atheists were religious at one point. That's what you'll find. They say they never were, but they were. And something, usually something happened. They were injured. They were hurt. Something, maybe they went to college and were deluded by college professors. And they became what they are now. But they didn't always, they weren't always like that. All right? Keep reading. Verse 20. Here's how God showed himself to them. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All right? Now, follow it. God has shown specific things to mankind. Number one, his eternal power. Number two, his Godhead. Now, that might be a confusing term to you. Eternal power is clear. If God created this world, He has almighty power. We talked about the sun, right? Every second that passes, scientifically speaking, you know, I'm trusting the scientists here, not that I know personally, but they say every second that passes, the amount of energy that comes out of the sun is equivalent to a Hiroshima bomb times all the number of stars in the universe that we know of. That's a lot of energy. Here's the thing. How much power and wisdom is required to create that in a moment, right? See, that's the assumption. That's what I'm saying. The, the creation requires a God who has that power. But it's eternal power. You know why? Because... At the beginning is when God created it. So he exists outside of that time. He existed before those things that he created. Okay, so that's eternal power. Godhead. This is what God has shown us in the creation. This is what you can know of God from nothing but what he created. All right, the second thing is his Godhead. Simply put, the way I view it and the best way I can explain it is this is the nature of God as a God. He is outside of humankind. He's outside of material creation. He alone and singularly is the only one that can claim the title of God. His nature as God. All right? God is not a man. You can see that from creation because everything in creation requires creation to exist. Right? I mean, we, we require the, the sun, we require the air, we require water and food and all those things. We, we depend upon the creation. Therefore, we cannot be God. He who is independent of creation is God. In fact, that's what Isaiah tells us about God in chapter, I believe it's 40, 
that God can be identified by who the one who the one is that is the creator. All right. Now notice this, verse twenty: for the invisible things from Him, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That means by looking at what He has created you can know these things about God. That's an atheist can see that, I can see that, and you can see that. And not only that, they are clear. They're not ambiguous, despite what an atheist might claim. It is so clear that in verse 20, what's it say? What's the last, the last part of verse 20? What's it say? It is so clear that ex- all excuses are taken out of the mouth of a man. He can know there is God. And if he does not know there is God and he does not know the nature of God, it is because he has willfully turned from that knowledge. Okay, this is, this is the, the, the basis from which you talk to someone who is, who is unbelieving in that way. These things you can assume and you speak to that regardless of what they say. You just have to understand, you have to take what people say with a grain of salt because they're usually just, they're not saying the truth necessarily. Every once in a while, you'll get an honest person. Every once in a while, once in a while. But by and large, most people, through the pride of their heart, will not acknowledge valid points. All right? And of course, we're not going to, Keep, we, won't, we won't read the whole chapter there, but look at Psalm number 8 before we go back to Psalm 119 just to kind of reiterate the, uh, the point here and then we'll hopefully finish up this uh, set of eight here. Psalm 8, verse 3. This is the intention even in our scientifically advanced day, 2023, this is God's intention to this day. Verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? God's intention is that the creation produces awe in our heart. It makes Him appear and to appear as He is, large, enormous. When you say, when we, read, we sing the song, How Great Thou Art, we're not talking about God's quality of He's nice and good. We're talking about His largeness, right? So that's what God wants us to see, but then, but then, The reverse of that is we see ourselves small, insignificant. That's what God wants us to see from the creation. People in 2023 can see those things from the creation that God maintains to this day. This is, that's why I say, this is ground. The creation question is not ground that we will give up. We are not going to say, oh, well, maybe there's a way to compromise. There's not. There, the moment you, you compromise on creation, you have, you have destroyed the foundations of Christianity. That's, that's just the reality of it. 
All right, let's go back to Psalm 119. If you would, verse number 92. It says this, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should have perished in mine affliction. There's a couple of things I want to note from this. Talking about affliction, which we've studied before, but it says this, Affliction has the ability to bring us to total ruin. Listen now. Affliction, has where it's, whether it's sickness, whether it's a, a trial, whether it's whatever it might be, affliction has the ability to destroy us spiritually. We have to understand that. Number two, the word of the Lord was the only thing that stood between him and total ruin. See that? Unless thy law had been my delights. And number three is this. The use of the word of God made the difference in his enduring affliction. And here's this, here's this, this factor here. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in my affliction. So this man is afflicted. He's suffering. He's suffering. How does a man who is suffering still enjoy delights? You see it in the verse? Both are present simultaneously. Something, is, something outwardly or maybe inwardly is causing affliction. But outwardly, what do you have? Or inwardly, rather, as it relates to God's Word, there's delight. And thus is a perfect description of Christian joy. Christian joy has its source not in things that normally make us happy. Christian joy has its source and it's anchored in truths that do not change and they're not, uh, that are not affected by circumstance at all. And where do we know the, how do we know those truths? By God's Word. That's why when we're afflicted, we need to go back to God and His Word. We're afflicted, we need to go back to God and His Word. Now, that, I'll, just, I'll just be honest with you. That's not always simple and easy. In fact, sometimes it's really hard because often in those afflictions, our very faith is being tested. It's hard. But God has promised to sustain us. And, you know, oftentimes in retrospect, after the storm has passed, we can look back and say, this is what God did. I wasn't aware at the time, but now I know. This is how God sustained me. Listen to this story. True story. This is by a man by, by the name of Alexander Wallace. He says this, I happened to be standing in a grocery shop one day in a large manufacturing town in the west of Scotland when a poor old frail widow came in to make a few purchases. There never was, perhaps, in that town a more severe time of distress. Nearly every loom was stopped. Decent and respectable tradesmen who had, been, had seen better days were obliged to subsist on public charity. So, so much money per day was allowed to the really poor and deserving. The poor widow had received her daily pittance, this is in England, of course, or uh, Scotland. And she had now come into the shop of the grocer to, to lay it out to the best advantage. She had but a few coppers in her withered hands. Carefully did she expend her little stock, a penny worth of this and the other necessary of life, necessities of life, nearly exhausted all she had. She came to the last penny and with a singular expression of heroic contentment and cheerful resignation on her wrinkled face, she said, 
Now I must buy oil with this, that I may see to read my Bible during these long dark nights. For it is my only comfort now when every other comfort has gone away. The Word of God as a delight. All right, let's, we're almost done. So let's look at verse number 93. I'll make one quick comment, then I want to get to verse 96. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I'll say this one point, maybe later, if we haven't already covered this, I think we might have a little bit. I'll just say this one point, if nothing more than a reminder. Forgetfulness is a great enemy of a godly and obedient life. Forgetfulness is a great enemy of a godly and obedient life. There are at least 13 times in the New Testament only that God reminds us of things. Things that we know already, He reminds us of them. Why? Because we are prone to forget. And when we forget, we falter. When we forget, it's like you're walking down the street and you forget there was a pothole there or you forget there was a big nasty wrinkle in the carpet. (laughs) What happens? You stumble. It's not that you don't know. It didn't take you by surprise. No, you just forgot. And that's where we are. All right, verse 96, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be done. I've seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Thy commandment is exceeding broad. That's an interesting statement, I thought. So I just meditated on it, and here's what I came up with. God's word touches on a wide array of subjects. It touches on every practical subject that we might interact with. Does it not? God's Word searches and examines both the actions, the deeds, the thoughts, the hearts, and the motives. That's quite a breadth, ain't it? It's not just about what you do. It's about why you do and how you do and with what feeling and motivation you do. God's Word speaks to all actions of man. We're talking about the breadth of God's Word, right? How wide it is. From the important people to those who are considered inconsequential. So it's universal. God's Word applies universally to every person, in every place, in every conceivable circumstance. Think of, you know, culture, language, monetary situation. It is simple and profound such that it is universally relevant. I was a missionary in Cambodia. Pastor Stewart is a missionary in Bulgaria. God's word is relevant there, just like it is here. It asserts jurisdiction over all. That's broad, exceeding broad. God's word applies universally to every period of time in history because God is eternal. Of course, the Bible we know was written 3,500, 4,000 years ago originally up until the New Testament there. It is profound. It's profundity. There's your 10-cent word. Is much deeper than human wisdom can sound. It will, we will not exhaust its resources and wisdom because it is from God Himself. It says, Thy commandment is exceeding broad. So that means that whatever the issue, 
we can find something in God's Word that relates in some way and touches that issue. We can find it. Now, you might not find it superficially, but you can find something in God's Word because it's exceeding broad. It covers everything, right? Let's pray.